acquaintance, like the you. And I remember in French saying, you is you. You know, and oh no, if someone's an adult or if someone's, je t'aime is not for everyone. Jesus isn't saying, okay guys, I can see you've got a cultural challenge with it. No, this is a matter of the heart. Doesn't Jesus say that? But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, this is the sin of pride. One of the big sins in the Bible, if we had to make a list, this is in the top three, if not number one, pride. And it's still around today. Pride is a sin. We know that from the Garden of Eden. We know that through the book of Proverbs. We know that in the New Testament. Let me just remind you of a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says the Lord. Pride is not good. Proverbs 16 verse 18 Pride goes before destruction. And, And there's a causal effect there. The scriptures tell us. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride in a Christian, in anyone, leads to spiritual destruction, self-centeredness and sin. In the New Testament, Jesus was teaching and Matthew 7 records these things where he lists a lot of grievous sins and includes pride. This kind of pride in the midst in Mark 7, beginning verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, that's what we're talking about, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, says Jesus, come from within and they defile a person. Mark 7. What's going on here isn't just uh, uh, the etiquette of church. No, this this is a sin of pride. And Jesus wants to address it. And it's not easily dealt with. I was very surprised that J.C. Ryle, in his very brief commentary, spends a couple pages on pride. He was on fire. And in the 1800s, it was an issue. In the 2023 decade, it is an issue. J.C. Ryle said, pride cleaves to us like our skin. Its roots never entirely die. They are ready at any moment to spring up and exhibit a most pernicious vitality. You may have killed off your weeds in the springtime, those dandelions. Maybe some of them are coming back. Pride in the heart of a not yet fully sanctified believer can erupt. It can break through the asphalt of our surface and it can bloom in a sinful way. And it was doing that here. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Well, again, we point out that this is a moral issue, not a cultural issue. There's nothing to be commended about their aspiring to further their career. Spiritually. 
So what does he do? He does two things. Before he speaks, he gets a visual aid in place. Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. There's a visual aid. Hmm. Why does Jesus turn to a visual aid? Well, we know last time when he just verbally asked for their clear attention, they weren't really giving it. So maybe he's just further going further steps to try to gain their attention and understanding. He puts a child next to him. And immediately it's a rebuke as well, isn't it? They were saying, who's the greatest? Who's going to get to sit next to Jesus in the kingdom? I'm going to sit on this side. You can sit on that side, but I'm sitting on the right-hand side because that's the side of power. Jesus brings a little toddler, sits by him, and Jesus says, sit here for a second. It's a rebuke to their debates. This visual aid... A child. Why a child? Well, we can take a quick peek at what Jesus is about to say, and that will help. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And then he says, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. He's pointing at someone who is lowly. He's bringing this child to his side for multiple reasons. To rebuke them and to give them a a model that their faith needs to be childlike. And it's okay to attend to the lowliest in your midst. Do you know in the ancient world, children were not just ignored. They were a bother. A rabbi, I'm, I'm understanding, would never speak to a child. I enjoy to welcome all the kids as they come in. In the ancient world, children were about the bottom of the the ladder of anyone who would get attention, sadly. Not to Jesus, though. Jesus, there's a big deal going on. These disciples are are twisted and and out of shape and and sitting. And and what do you do? You pay attention to a child? You get one of those squirmy little boys that's following us and you put him right next to you, almost on your lap? What's with that? Jesus is showing them what's with that. To pay attention to the meek and lowly is what's important. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. When you pay attention to the undeserving, low esteem members of the community, you are pleasing Jesus. Indeed, receiving Jesus. He would teach this time and time again in a multiplicity of ways, even in the Olivet Discourse of the End Times. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things for you? And he said, I never knew you. He who is least among you all is the one who is great. By the way, when Jesus welcomes the little children, we can't make uh, our theology out of that single statement. Um, Here's a footnote just for the, the liberal theologians who distort the truth of the scripture about sin, we are born sinful. That's what the Bible teaches. All children are born sinful. You don't really have to teach them say no or to be naughty. They, that just comes out eventually. It's there. 
We say children are young and innocent, and indeed they are to many things of the world. And, and they don't often care who's in first place as long as they get a cookie too. And, and yet as they grow, the sin nature is manifest. And Jesus has a love for children. Anyone here under 21, under 12, the littlest among us, Jesus loves them dearly. And he's a love for all. So let's get to his humbling principle. He said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. That gets into the gospel, doesn't it? What is this humbling principle? In order to be right with Jesus Christ, you need to show kindness and humility to others. You need to take time even for a child. Rather than jockeying for position and climbing some spiritual ladder in your imagination, you need to do these things to humbly serve others, to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the ways it's revealed that you are receiving Christ or belong to Christ and that you will be received by the Father. You need to aim to be least, as it were, to be humble. Read Philippians 2. Have this mind among you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He once lived in heaven, glorified by angels, and entered as a man, taking the form of a servant into this world. We are his disciples. May we do likewise. And it's humbling because it takes humility to relate to a wee little child, doesn't it? I've actually enjoyed watching pictures of my grandkids. I'm not going to tell a big story. But when my oldest, who's 30-something, is sitting on the floor with blocks, with a little baby, you know, this, this Eagle Scout son, this advanced man in his business and his family, see him on the floor, you see that humility that you need to relate to a child you have to get down on the floor and you have to slow your speech and change your vocabulary you have to adjust for them it takes humility to relate to a child and that's what Jesus is calling for selflessness take up your cross Be changed. Be like me if you want to be something in the kingdom of God. And notice too, before we move on, that Jesus says, uh, the one who is least among you all is the one who is great. He doesn't use um, uh, the superlative. He doesn't go to to the max. He doesn't say greatest. That's what they were aiming for. They wanted to be numero uno. The greatest. He just says, no, you'll you'll be what you need to be if you're this way. He doesn't say greatest. That's just not in the picture among Christians. But rather to be good and to please our Father in heaven, as we'll see with some other scriptures. So they're sinning with this thought and this mindset, letting their pride Uh, lead them astray. Jesus rebukes them using a child and a very humbling principle. 
And then we read in verse 49, John answers. John is replying. John is entering into, perhaps entering into argument with Jesus here. He's triggered. He says, I I, I object. Or, hey, I have a question about that. Oh, boy. I, I know a bit about John. I've studied his gospel. I've studied his life. I think he's one of the best of the disciples, usually cautious and loving. You don't usually see him do anything wrong, and maybe he's not doing anything wrong here. But he raises this question. He raises this uh, alternative case study, probably expecting some confirmation instead of a rebuke. So it's not as bad as it could be, but... He's not confirmed in what he did. No, John, you got it wrong. That's what's coming. And again, these two paragraphs are connected. I hope you see it as students of the Bible watching uh, for what's being emphasized. And sometimes emphasis comes by a repeated phrase. You see the repeated phrase in both paragraphs. Whoever receives this child in my name, verse 48 If you're behaving as a Christian and you're doing things for Christ, that first paragraph speaks to you. John answered, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We saw this other guy who purported to be in fellowship with you or serving you. These paragraphs are indeed connected. And together they expose our sense of status and importance or pride And the issue of scope. Who else can be a good follower of Jesus? Or who shouldn't be a follower of Jesus? You see the mindset is being exposed. So trying to make this connection, John brings up, hey, we tried to cancel this exorcist going on. He says, we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Okay, let's get the picture. Some spiritual EMT pulled up by the side of the road where the demon was, was harming a human being. And this renegade, uh, anonymous spiritual EMT is trying to cast out this, in Jesus' name, leave him alone. And the disciples come along on this scene, this troubling scene, and say, hey, stop that. Leave the demon alone? What are they, what are they saying? Do we see how out of place it is? When we visualize what the text tells us. Forbid, forbid. We tried to stop him. The one who was speaking the name of Jesus to someone in crisis. Why? Why, John? Why? Well, because... He, whoever that anonymous exorcist is, does not follow Christ, is implied, does not follow Christ with us. He's not on our team, it seems. He's not in our company. He's not a member at our church. Can you hear the voice? As J.C. Ryle says in his diatribe against this bad behavior, he says, They have imagined in their petty self-conceit that no man can be a soldier of Christ unless he wears their uniform. 
I, I was never in the armed forces, but I've seen some of the armed forces get together. You know, the Air Force guys, the Navy guys, and the Marines, and the Marines always think they're the best. And there's a friendly competitiveness. You see the different patch on the shoulder. One is Semper Fi, and the other one is Fly High, and I, I don't know all the mottos, but there's that friendly competitiveness within the branches of the United States. But know for sure, all of them on the other shoulder wear the flag, the stars and stripes. And they take an oath to defend and preserve the, United, the Constitution in the United States of America. They're on the same team, even if they're in different divisions. But John doesn't have a category for this yet. There's this exclusive mindset that we're following Christ. We don't know what this guy's doing. So we tried to put the kibosh on it. Douglas Milne, writing his commentary more recently, said, Modern disciples of Jesus can hold the same narrow frame of mind. One Christian group can ostracize the other because they follow different leaders or do not agree with every point of doctrine or do not use the same methods. It's a modern problem. And boy, has this erupted in the last few years where there is no tolerance or acceptance of some Christians if they have ties to something we don't like. If in one point they error, and I'm not talking about the fundamentals of the faith, I'm not talking about the, the trinity or salvation by grace, I'm talking in other matters, if someone errs, they're suspect, forbid him, close down, cancel his ministry. We see it. Now there are charlatans in the world that need to be shut down. And I have from time to time spoken from this pulpit and sometimes named names over gospel-threatening issues. But if someone has an odd or peculiar economic view or political view, we cannot and must not cut them off as being brothers in Christ. Jesus rebukes John. Earlier, he warned against the great evil of pride, and here, he warns against spiritual bigotry and prejudice, which is alive and well in 2023 among evangelicals. Jesus said to him, verse 50, do not stop him. But, 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 do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. There's a related principle that we'll get to in chapter 11, and we'll discuss the difference in circumstances when we get there in a few weeks' time. But here, Jesus is spot on and fairly clear. He's working with his disciples. Wasn't it just a little while previous in this chapter, Jesus uh, had come down from the mountain and a child had not been able to be healed by the disciples verse 41 Jesus answered O faithless and twisted generation how long am I going to be with you and bear with you and he was speaking to the disciples 
Jesus is probably thinking the same thing. How long? John, John, what, a, what did you do? How long must I be with you? What does that say? That means Jesus knows it takes time to bring these disciples to maturity. And in fact, even though Luke chapter 9 is turning now to the cross, how many chapters are left? We're going to have a lot of chapters and material and time with Jesus before the cross. And some commentators think it's at least another year with these disciples. And Jesus knows that. Solid spiritual growth takes time often. And so he's trying to be clear with these disciples who are not very mature at the moment. Douglas Milne says Christian maturity comes when we are able to embrace as equals in Christ those who may not see things or do things the way we may do. Christian maturity. It has to be the mindset of Paul. And I can be so blunt and bold here with this text because I've read what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1. Do you remember he was in prison and and he knew others were preaching Christ. And this is what he says. Verse 15, chapter 1. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's not good. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Here's verse 18, Philippians 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, says Paul. Those goofballs, or worse, preaching Christ. Paul says, I rejoice. Christ is being proclaimed. As long as it's the the true Christ, the true gospel. He wouldn't stand for anything short of the true gospel. But even if motives are suspect, if it's the true gospel, let it go. Do not stop him. My friends, other Christians are not the enemy. Together we should battle the enemy. Yes, there will be wolves that come among us and appear as sheep. A wolf is not a Christian. We can deal harshly with the wolf. But other Christians are not the enemy. And we need to check our own spirit our own sense of pride and prejudice. No one has a monopoly on doing God's work. Jesus is pretty clear. The one who is not against you is for you. And friends, we need to spread this word and do less battle with our brothers and sisters And more with the pagans and the secularists, the atheists of our day. In closing, here are some applications, some exhortations. I hope they're helpful. Um, This is spiritual examination and some of us will need to do some repenting. Perhaps as God's word brings us conviction. But here's uh, three pastoral words to wrap up. Number one, guard 
against your pride and self-conceit. Look at yourself first. Don't say, oh, oh, Pastor Dave, that was the perfect sermon for so-and-so, and I'll make sure he hears it. Okay, that's all right. Maybe you should listen to it again first. I'm listening to it. I need to guard against my pride and self-conceit. One example, I, I was attending the Banner Truth Ministers Conference as early as 1991, and so I've been there 30 sometimes. And in the early years, you'd see the, the famous Reformed preachers up on the platform, and his young pastor say, oh, I'd love to have a turn on the platform. I'd love to preach there. Then everybody will know that I'm a good preacher. You know, as a young man, you're aspiring, and you have to put that in check. And God's very merciful. That for many years, that was never again a thought or desire. And lo and behold, an invitation comes to be on that platform. And it was very humbling. Lord, I'm mindful of my past pride this day. And it was with fear and trepidation I stood before those fellow ministers. Proverbs talks about pride. Proverbs 29.23, if you have a pencil, write that down, check it out. Proverbs 29.23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So just pull back on the reins a little. I'm thankful that when I forget to pull back on the reins, the Lord orchestrates events in my life to rein me in. And he'll do that in your life as well, if you're walking with the Spirit. Guard against pride and self-conceit. It's constantly a danger. If you think it's not a danger, it's already trying to break the surface. But I'm not a preacher. I'm not anybody. Well, pride comes to every sinner, everyone who's not fully sanctified, and would tempt us. Perhaps more practical, let me say this. Secondly, pray for humility. And let me enlarge that. Because you hear that often enough, pray for humility. I would say pray for and start practicing humility. If you're going to ask for it, start acting that way. You know, I may have prayed, Lord, teach me to ride a bike, but I got on the seat and used the pedals and crashed a few times. You want some humility? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? If you want to be right, you want to receive me, you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower? Hey. You need to make time for children. In other words, you need to focus on the insignificant and lowly among you. You need to dial it down to be accepted. Pray for and practice humility. Don't we love that hymn? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Are we daily? Are you daily thinking of yourself as a debtor to grace? Or some days you kind of feel, oh, the bank account's pretty full. I can spend it. We'll be humbled when we remember 
our inability to save ourselves, the great price Christ paid for us. My friends, as Douglas Milne said, there's a wideness in God's mercies that we would do well to emulate on earth, for we will certainly find it in heaven. Humility means making room and adjusting to others. That might provoke your pride. Pray for and practice humility. And finally, appreciate God's great mercies to you. I think that all goes together. We guard against our pride as we think honestly about ourselves and honestly about God's mercies. That song that comes from 1 John, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. What kind of love? Gracious love, agape love, unconditional love. Or how about that great hymn that I didn't hear until a few months after my conversion? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? I sing that and I am humbled. And yet I'm in awe. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It's when we just listen to the world and its messages. We deserve a break to be. Break today. You know, you deserve the best. You only go around once in life. Grab all the gusto you get. It, it seems to really fuel pride, ambition, self-centeredness. So make sure you're singing to yourself, singing to the Lord, appreciating his mercies. One of the great chapters of the Bible is Romans 12. One of the greatest letters ever written on earth was Romans. And Romans 12 has all sorts of practical things. Paul's turning to some very practical measures and he's going to tell us how to love. He's going to tell us this. He's going to tell us that. Romans 12 begins with a reference to the mercies of God. I memorized it in a different translation, but the ESV says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It begins with a contemplation of the mercies of God. He's been merciful. He's been forgiving. Time and time again. Is there anyone who, in this room whom God hasn't forgiven time and time and time again? I just marked my 45th Christian birthday on July 11th. 45 years knowing Christ. I, I can hardly contain my joy and my awe at God's patience with me. His work of grace to me. Do you appreciate God's mercies? Of course, to appreciate them, you need to know them. If there's anyone here or listening 
that is unsure if you are right with God through Jesus Christ. I urge you to repent and pray. I urge you to say, oh Lord, I know my sins this day. I know I'm not right with you or I'm not sure. I repent of serving myself and thinking so highly of myself. And I cast myself into the hands of Jesus, the one who came, lived, and died for others. Jesus, forgive me, save me, help me. And he will. It's good news. He doesn't say, clean up your lives and we'll talk next week. No, he says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. So if you're guilt-ridden and you know your sin and you know you haven't done what's right, just come to Christ. Just step forward. Just pray. Cry out. Know the mercies of God. And then let them protect you and guide you as you follow Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you this day for your word, your holy inspired word, this gospel of Luke and the good news within it, how Jesus so patiently forbears these disciples when they're getting it wrong to show them the right way and to share that with us through the word. Father, may we be guarded against pride. May we be wary of spiritual prejudice. May we humbly follow Christ and call others to join us. Father, bless this church and all who hear this message by the truth of your word and the ministry of your spirit. Even bring some into the kingdom. May today be a day of joy and conversion and new birth. Because of the God you are, the Savior you've sent, and the ministry of your Holy Spirit to bring them to faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, for.